Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded and expects to hit 6 million listens by the end of July 2023. We're celebrating this success by recognizing those who have shared the journey with us and giving them the opportunity to contribute to the ongoing success of the shows. By buying a paper copy of the Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a donation to help the ongoing running costs, members of the international Italian wine community will be given the chance to nominate future guests and even enter a prize draw to have lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. To find out more, visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin! Italian Wine Podcast is delighted to present a series of highlights from the 2022 Wine to Wine Business Forum, focusing on wine communication and bringing together the most influential speakers in the sectors to discuss the hottest topics facing the wine industry today. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central European Time or visit winetowine.net for more information. Yeah, so welcome everyone. My name is uh, Osa Johansson. I'm a Swedish wine journalist based in uh, Tuscany. And today I'm going to moderate um, this talk about the Scandinavian markets. The goal today is to get a brief overview of the Scandinavian markets, take a look how the Italian wines are doing on each market, the importance of organic uh, or sustainable certifications and the ongoing trends. Uh, today. And I'm here with uh, um, our four representatives, uh, starting from my left, your right. Uh, we have Mr. Denmark, Per Biel from uh, the wine importer Laudrup. And if someone is into soccer, uh, it's uh, half of the companies owned by Michael Laudrup, one of the very well-known football players. And then we have Mr. Norway. Marius Odland, wine journalist from the beginning, uh, editor-in-chief that then went to the other side and became a wine importer uh, from United Wine Group. Um, and then we have Miss Sweden, Margareta Lundberg from the wine importer Handpicked. And then behind me, I'm not going to try not to fall on these steps. We have Miss Finland, uh, Nina Vittika from the wine importer Wine World, uh, that is part of a bigger group. But Nina will tell us more about, about this. Um, so we're going to jump in uh, directly uh, to the information and I'm going to let these wonderful speakers um, take the word. So we're going to start with Denmark, uh, because as you know, the Scandinavian markets are, except for Denmark, uh, but Norway, Sweden and Finland um, is heavily regulated by wine monopolies. Uh, so we're going to understand if there are any differences between the three monopolies in the different countries and how they work. Uh, but we're going to start with the most southern country, uh, Denmark. Um, so, Per, can you please give us uh, an introduction to the Danish wine market today? Uh, yes, I can do that, certainly. Um, <laughs> actually, Italian wines are very sexy in Denmark. It has been for many years. Uh, in the past, it was more wines from Chile and France and so on. But over the last five years, we have seen quite increase on Italian wines. It is, though, still... Um, uh, when we talk price quality, uh, lower wines in terms of, of the price compared to France. So if we look at the figures up there on the screen, you will see that, that Italy has 22% of the market in terms of volume and France has 14%. But actually, 
France, when we, when we look at the, at the value, France is over Italy. So that means uh, basically that France or French wines are sold at 50% more higher price than Italian wines. Uh, that goes uh, with a lot of bag-in-box, which is basically re-exported, a lot of that to the German border or even to Sweden and other Nordic countries. So uh, we would love to see some other trends in Denmark in respect to Italian wines in the future, um, instead of just bag-in-box and bulk wines. So when we look uh, to, uh, to the total wine into Denmark, uh, it's about 200 million, 200 million liters um, into, into Denmark and 67% um, of that is red wine. But if we take the next slide, we will see that Italian wines, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot more. Um, it's even up to 80% uh, on, on the next slide. Um, so each day basically consume about 48, 48 uh, liters per year which is a lot compared to the Southern Europe. Um, but if you then take the Italian wines, uh, it's 82% of the wine is red wine. So uh, that is a lot of wine from this area, uh, Ribasso, Amarona, and so on. Um, and only 7 million liters are actually red, uh, white wine. Uh, again there, we would love to see a lot more white wines into Denmark. And, and uh, what about the distribution channels? Where is the wine sold in Denmark since the, you don't have the monopoly? We love not to have the monopoly. Yeah, I know uh, you do. <laughs> so uh, in Denmark we have about 5,000 registered importers. So it's a huge market for, uh, for wine importers. There's a lot of private people as well driving down to Garda Lake and taking a pallet in the car, uh, going back again and even down to Chianti Classico and having some agriturismo and then go back with a lot of Chianti. But, uh, if we look at the at the top, then then 92% is sold in supermarkets. 92%. At which price point? That's below 50 krona per. So that's something like six and a half to seven euros per bottle. Uh, our average is is more than 10. What we sell to the restaurants and so on. So it's 92% um, is a high volume uh, compared to uh, you have three big supermarket chains in Denmark. It's Selling, it's Coop, and it's Menu, which is the Grofer. So they stand for yeah, the bigger part. Uh, we love to be independent, uh, like the rest of the Danish importers. Uh, we sell to the supermarkets as well, but only the, the top wines. Uh, into uh, we, we just had uh, uh, a discussion about that in the previous one, but uh, we sell to supermarkets as well. We can sell a wine to a top restaurant, Michelin star, and the wine can be in the store the next day. Uh, people love to look at Vivino or any other app and then purchase the wine online or in the store next day. Uh, there's no barrier there. And which are the strongest Italian regions or uh, the most sold Italian wines in, in Denmark? And is there a difference between restaurants and supermarkets? Yeah, that's a, uh, we, we see in the restaurants, it's basically Piemonte. Uh, in Denmark, we call Piemonte for the, the Italian Burgundy. Um, it's very like Burgundy and Pinot Noir. Uh, we see a lot of Barolo. Uh, we call the, the four Bs with Barolo, Barbaresco, Barbera and, and Brunello. That's, uh, that's a focus on the restaurant chain. But in, in respect to the, to the retail, we see a lot more uh, Amarone, Ripasso and whatever they call it down here in terms of... Uh, uh, Amapasso and uh, 
Riamarona, Re, Re whatever they, and that's why we have this uh, big bulk. Uh, so they they just find a label and and sell it in the Danish supermarket. Unfortunately, and you also told me when we were talking, uh, Pai told me you told me that um, uh, your agency left Italy a little bit, and now you're uh, going back to import more of Italian wine. So, which regions will you focus on, and why? Now we see a lot more in terms of uh, when we look at the future. It's uh, it's Alto Adige. Uh, we look more at white wine as well. Um, we see Alto uh, Piemonte up in the mountains. Basically, our company, uh, we have 135 different suppliers, 1,500 different wines from all over the world. Um, we basically import cool climate wines. Uh, we see Tuscany coming, but again, Tuscany, not the warm district, not from the coast, but, but more up in the mountain. Um, mm. Some Lombardia as well uh, in the future. That's uh, where we are focusing. Uh, actually, unfortunately, Italy is only number six in our market, in, in, in Laudrup. Uh, it used to be number three and four, but uh, we have had more focus on France and, and Spain, California lately, but due to the rate of exchange, we said next year, Italy will be our target. Hmm. Good to know. Eh? Um, yeah. And what about um, in, in the Scandinavian countries, their organic and sustainable certifications um, are very important. Um, how is the situation in Denmark? Is it relevant to Danish uh, customers? And is it important both in, uh, in, in restaurants and in the supermarkets? We find it a lot more relevant in the, in the supermarkets. Uh, we see, of course, because again, when you sit in a restaurant, mm. uh, you don't focus on the wine list if it's uh, ecologic or certified or even sustainable. Mm. Uh, some restaurants are taking that out and even vegan, uh, but 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 it's more obvious in a supermarket. Or we see that online as well when we market uh, sustainability and and the green wave ecologic. Um, we see a lot more customers online purchasing from us. Mm. Um, and we have seen a trend in Italy as well. We have a great supplier, Il Boro, which is owned by Salvatore Ferragamo in, uh, in Tuscany, a super Tuscan wine inside up in the mountain, uh, has really taken off uh, instead of Satikaya and Alaya and all the other ones. Uh, it's, it's nice to see these family-owned wineries really kicking off in Denmark. Uh, so uh, sustainability is, and again, if you go back, um, we saw the bump uh, of uh, Chirac, if somebody can remember that, being as old as me, when he dropped the bump in Murua down in, uh, uh, in, in New Zealand. Uh, the market of French wine in Denmark went from 62 to 26, and that was back in 85. We have seen several scandals in Italy as well, but uh, people just continued drinking and, and purchasing Italian wines. So... Uh, that can be Brunello scandal or Marona or whatever, but that's nice to know that, that you have a big uh, uh, publicum, you know, uh, a lot of Danish, nice Danish purchasers in Denmark. And um, if you would give a suggestion to an uh, Italian producer to enter the Danish market today, three things. What to think about for Denmark? Well, first of all, I would love that... Um, if you look at the Italian uh, wineries, uh, I would love that a son or a daughter takes over. So it's not as old-fashioned as it used to be. 
I've been traveling the last 50 years in Italy, visiting wineries, and I love when I see uh, the next generation taking over, making cool climate wines, uh, making wines up in the mountain, um, using new techniques like full bunches and uh, and uh, new techniques they have learned in Burgundy or in New Zealand. Uh, that's what we like. That's what our palate. Uh, and especially all the sommeliers do love in the future. But of course, it's it's obvious that uh, sustainability, ecologic, the stamp, not that you are converting and maybe next year, uh, that's, that's no good. It needs to be a stamp, it needs to be certified, and we need to see a track record over the last three, five years with uh, ecologic uh, wines. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to go into the monopolies. Uh, and when I travel in Italy and talk to different producers, they say, oh, you arrived to Denmark and then there's a wall. <laughs> um, and yesterday I talked to a person and we talked about Norway and uh, this producer said, oh, we don't call it Norway, we call it no way. Um, because it seems impossible to, to enter these markets. Uh, so we're going to try to figure out uh, how they work, first of all. Uh, so Marius, I know you like to talk, but I have my clock here, so I'm going to control you. Um, so could you just briefly explain how uh, the Norwegian mo monopoly that is called Wien Monopolet, you need some wine to be able to pronounce that. Um, could you briefly explain how it works? Uh, yes, that will be a pleasure. Um, <clears throat> there is uh, several ways, not no way, to, <laughs> to get into the Norwegian market. Um, as you know, the state owns the monopoly, um, owns the monopoly shops, they hire the people. So in Norway, the importer, like we, uh, have all the responsibility to import the wine uh, and to keep it in stock, to do the distribution, everything. Um, so we own all the goods. The monopoly on the other side decides um, uh, what to buy through tenders, uh, but also in other ways. So I'm, I'm thinking I'll go straight to the important part, um, telling you how to enter the market. Listen up, everyone. Um, <laughs> tenders is, uh, of course, important. It's a door opener. You get a lot of shops. Um, but it's difficult for you as a producer to approach us with your wine unless there is a tender. So um, a good way would be to follow the tender list carefully, uh, get, uh, get information about uh, all the tenders all the time. There is, uh, about, there is more than 100 tenders every year. So there is a possibility that the tenders will fit your, your wine production at some point. Um, <clears throat> the, the tenders are very specific, and this is a frustration for uh, many producers. But we, we know what we are doing, so we will find you. We will find the product that fits the description, and we will make contact. So what you're saying is that, well, to work in the Scandinavian countries, you need to have an importer. Whether you work with the on-trade or off-trade, you need to have an importer. 
and I'm just trying to translate it a bit, what you're saying is that it's not the producers finding the importer, but it's the importer that finds the producer. <coughs> yes, when it comes to tenders, that's, uh, that's the only way to do it. Mm. And is it possible to work in Norway without winning a tender? That's a, that's a very important question, because uh, it is possible to get in without tenders. Um, in um, in Norway, we have this unique possibility uh, to um, not only import whatever product we want to, but also to meet the monopoly uh, at the monopoly fairs. The, the, these are fairs uh, arranged all over the country every year. Um, <clears throat> it used to be almost 100 after COVID, it's about 60, 70 fairs, still uh, quite a lot. Um, it's all across the country. We, uh, we uh, invite all the monopoly shops to come to us, the importers, to taste our wine. And, we can, and they can taste um, not only what they have in the shop, but also uh, the, the products that we choose to register at the online system of the monopoly. The online system will be what is um, uh, possible for the consumers to order through the web shop, but uh, the products are not in the shop physically, unless the monopoly comes to, our, comes to these fairs, taste the wine and make a decision to bring it to their local shop. So winning a tender, you get a basic listing, meaning the monopoly will choose a number of shops for distribution of your product. Uh, getting a local listing means that uh, one shop will buy your product, one product, and put it in their shop. How big is the percentage that they can choose each store? Because each store can mm. then choose a wine to put in that particular store that will not be in other monopoly stores? And how, how big percentage is that? Uh, that's uh, about 20%. Okay. And uh, the shops are different sizes. So you have uh, big shops, which uh, means that 20% is uh, a lot more than the smallest uh, shops um, that can only uh, add a few uh, products. So going around all the country, inviting every shop, uh, we will uh, get local listings. Um, and um, it's a big opportunity to build your brand without tenders. So you, you introduce your product, no tenders. You, uh, the importer will take your product around the country, present it to all the shops, 340 shops, and um, uh, you will get local listings from the shops that, um, uh, that uh, wants your product. And... Um, uh, that's a matter of what kind of product it is, uh, what is the uh, price, um, what is the quality, the label, um, all the normal sales uh, factors, the sales elements um, when selling a wine. Okay, mm. now your your time is finishing, Marius. So, um, <laughs> your uh, we want to know about mm. the Italian wine in Norway. Yeah. What um, is going well and what is not? Everything is going well, actually. 
Uh, it's the the biggest um, the biggest country for uh, wine in Norway. Uh, yeah, there is no big increase except for uh, rosé wine, especially from Piemont. Uh, Piemont, Veneto, and uh, Tuscany is the biggest uh, regions uh, for us. So um, it's going going well, um, and uh, yeah. And uh, which uh, how how important are the organic and sustainable certifications? What can you tell us about that? <coughs> well. Um, the monopoly in Scandinavia has a cooperation um, about uh, the sustainability, uh, both for the the vineyards, the um, wine wine production, uh, and the packaging. Uh, as you can see, uh, these are, are the requirements from the Norwegian monopoly. Um, not uh, requirements like every product has to do this, but uh, th these are the future. Th these are the future requirements that the um, the Scandinavian monopolies wants to implement for the nearest uh, years to come, and it's really so something they are focusing on. So, basically, <clears throat> the consumers they don't care as much, but uh, since the monopoly are the ones who buys the wine. We need to care. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we have the focus on these requirements because it makes it easier for us to sell the wine to the monopoly. Yeah. Mm. Good answer, Marius. Um, and last question. Um, which trends do you see right now? Uh, what do you think the future, um, maybe future regions or future styles uh, of Italian wine? And what about the packaging? Because I know that the monopolies are also very um, like focused on the different types of packaging. What can you tell us about that? Well, about uh, the packaging, to start with that, um, it's... Um the same focus, the sustainability focus um, for the Scandinavian monopolies, like uh, lightweight bottles, screw cap, sorry about that, um, and uh, sustainable packaging uh, in general. Um, as for uh, trends, we see trends for natural wine, uh, orange wine, uh, pet nut, you call it on the least uh, in Italy. Um, and uh, cool climate um, wines like uh, less uh, sugar, um, more more fruit, and um, uh, fresh acidic wines, um, easy to drink. That's, mm. Yeah, I think that's okay. Sum it up. Yeah. Mm. Thank you very much. We're going to move on. We're going to move to Sweden. Uh, so the biggest of the Scandinavian countries. Um, so, Margareta, the, I, the monopolies work very closely to each other, so they have a common vision. They very often meet and have um, uh, to create strategies together. But listening to Marius, is there any differences that you can see when it comes to the Swedish monopoly? Yes, I think it's very interesting to listen to uh, Marius because I think there are a lot of differences between our monopoly countries. And uh, I think Sweden, Finland and Norway, we are very different and the monopoly works very differently. Uh, of course, we have tenders 
actually I think my work as importer started to be fun when I stopped working for the big tenders uh, because there are other ways to enter Systembolaget and uh, you can do it with exclusive tenders, with temporary tenders, via order assortment and of course restaurants. So I started 2005, uh, that's 17 years ago and from beginning I worked a lot trying to get the big tenders but and nowadays I feel much more confident and safe to not uh, risk a lot of things with going for the big tenders and I don't want to put my producer in that posi position either because there are a lot of risks with these big tenders. What, which risks are there? Uh, because they, Systembolaget, they never guarantee any uh, continuous listing, even if uh, you win the tender and they say probably you will sell about 100,000 liters and maybe you sell 100,000 liters, but that is not enough because you are compared to other wines from other origins and if you don't uh, uh, keep your position, then you will be delisted and then you maybe sit in the market with 20, 30, 40,000 liters and it's a little bit difficult with uh, to do that in the monopoly market. Mm -hmm. So for us, we are working with small and medium producer and for us it's much better to work with more um, temporary tenders. Yeah, and could you explain like the different, because there are different and uh, different segments uh, when it comes to these temporary listings. Uh, could you explain just a little bit how it works? Yes, uh, I think it is about two years they started with these temporary tenders and it is like a tender process. But instead of the, um, they, uh, they don't request samples from all the requests they receive. They only um, re uh, ask for sample for maybe 10 to 15 uh, importers and the wine needs to have good score and it has to be um, uh, the, the kind of style they are looking for. They are much more particular uh, in their criteria. Uh, but in another hand, it's, uh, uh, it's a little bit uh, more um, good volumes for our producers. It could be everything from 5,000 liters to 15,000 liters. And then they do still the blind tasting. But uh, then, of course, they... Uh, guarantee the volume so that is very good and then we have these exclusive listings and that is not the tender process that is uh, I go to the buyer and I present the wine and uh, I sell I sell it and they can decide themselves and often the volume could be maybe yeah it could be from 36 bottles up to 5,000 bottles and for us that is good volume and uh, if we are working with producer, that is often good because we have restaurant sales and it's more stable volumes. And then sometimes we get, get this exclusive listing or temporary listings. Mm. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. And which, uh, which trends do you see when it comes to Italian wine? Um, and is there a difference between the on and off trade in Sweden? Yes, I think so, definitely. Uh, still, there are, like Denmark, all these appassimento styles. It's still very popular, but the trend is... Uh, 
yeah, going down. And for restaurant, that is no, no, no. You don't come to the restaurant to sell an appassimento wine. And uh, in uh, the restaurant business, you want high acidity, you want fruit, you want minerality, you want uh, volcanic, you want natural, you want pet nut. But in the, uh, in the Monopoly, most of the wines are sold below uh, 120 Swedish crown, 12 euro. And uh, yes, still uh, a lot of uh, appassimento style. But I think Baro uh, Pimonte wine, Nebbiolo, uh, Tuscany is really, really going well now in Sweden. Yeah. And there's, uh, when you when you look at the figures, the, the red wine from Italy has, uh, it's the biggest one on the market. It has 40% almost the red wine. Yes. But while the white wines are on fourth place, I think, or fifth even. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you in the future would focus on Italian white wines, mm -hmm. what would you... Mm, I love Italian white wine. I mm. Actually, I like Italian white wine maybe even more than red wine. No, I think there are so many fantastic regions with Marche, with uh, Campania and Sicily. And there are so many good. So, and I think white wine from Italy could definitely be a trend, especially for the restaurants, for the good restaurants and sommeliers. Mm -hmm. And uh, going, at, um, we're going to take a look also at the, the um, organic and sustainable because organic sales in Sweden stands for 25%. Yes. Um, and now they're also focusing on other certifications. What do you think about that? No, I think it's good. It's very good because a few years ago they only focused on organic certification. And nowadays they are focusing in uh, other certification like Equalitas, like Viva. And that is really uh, good, I think, because now they are not only focusing in something that is not working very well in all regions. So uh, it's, yeah, they are focusing, of course, of sustainability, but also about packaging. So nowadays uh, there is a label, it's called Sustainable Choice. And to get this label, you need to have both environmental and climate uh, impact reducing, and then promoting human, uh, human rights in the industry. And uh, then you need to... Uh, 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 you need to be sure that uh, the producer and us as an importer, we need to prove that uh, the wine is done yeah. this way. Yeah, because the sustainable choice is a new label. It came out in March. Uh, this year, and uh, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the Swedish monopoly that has created this label, and they have created their own database uh, with different certifications, and then they have added um, information about the CO2 footprint, for example, for packaging. Uh, but there's a lot of controversies regarding this because they have taken into consideration the production of the packaging and not the transportation, for example. And it's only for the fixed segment and it's not for the temporary listings or order segment. Uh, so there has actually been, um, they have reported this to the European Commission that will look into it if it's... Uh, okay or not, so we will see what happens. Um, there, are, there are still very few wines uh, with this label. I think yeah. it's about 200. Okay, so very small still. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, um, what's the biggest challenge you think for Italian wine in Sweden? Mm. Difficult question. I still think, that, I mean, uh, Italy, Italian wine has 25% market share, so that is fantastic. And I think there are still room to get even higher because Italy, I, me, myself, I love Italy. It's like 20, regi- 20 countries. Uh, so, so there are many regions still not uh, available. I think Basilicata, I think uh, Friuli and Alto Adige has still a lot of uh, opportunities and all the new uh, way to make wine and the natural wine and so I think there are still a lot of good possibilities for Italian producer to even grow higher. That's positive. Just the last question for you, Margareta, because Mario said it's not the producers finding us, it's us finding the producers. How do you find your producers? Mm, a lot of networking. I, my producer I work with today, usually I ask them if they have someone they can recommend. So, uh, yes, reading a magazine. I'm very open. Yes, mm. it's... Do you, and the fairs, are the fairs still important, like Vinicelli, for example, for you? I don't find new, if I find a producer on a fair, I have always uh, uh, some uh, information before I have booked appointment before, so it's not like I'm just Mm. going and check, but uh, yeah, I think fairs is nice, but I think it's less important today. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to move to Finland uh, with Nina. Nina, you're like Marius. You also like to talk a lot, so I will have to control you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so, Nina, tell us a little bit uh, about Finland. Finland is the smallest of the Scandinavian uh, wine markets, and beer is still more popular than wine, or not? Uh, yes, unfortunately. Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, no, wine is gaining, and uh, uh, actually Finland uh, differs from from Sweden and Norway in that sense that, that uh, uh, stronger beers can be sold on retail. So it's five point five percent and over mm-hmm. in alcohol beverages that can be sold in in uh, the monopoly of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, we do drink a lot of beer. We used to drink a lot more vodka than today. Uh, so, but wine is gaining. Uh, historically, if we look on the last year, the whole market is uh, this figure here is uh, calculated in 100% alcohol, which is like the official way of counting it. So you see that the market is declining. Uh, alcohol gained a lot of sales during the COVID uh, pandemic. I've never seen so much bag-in-box wines being sold because, you know, we are a very funny um, kind of people. Uh, we kind of, You know, we are very afraid of two things. Um, when something happens, uh, there was a worldwide trend of, of um, buying a lot of toilet paper and then the second was, oh, my God, now Anku shops are going to close. Uh, so everybody ran and, and uh, you know, bought a lot of wine. And, and uh, what do you buy when you're a little insecure? You buy back in box 
because it's you know it's three liters and and then of course maybe a brand that I know etc. Uh, so that was crazy, uh, but it, it didn't tell anything of where we're going because we, now we're back to normal and the market is going down um, of several reasons. Not not heavily. Uh, there are a couple of, of um, a couple of. of uh, departments that is growing and uh, you know what what do we do in a declining market we 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 catch on to what is going well uh, on trade is almost back to normal uh, we look forward to a very good uh, Christmas party season which is very good for for wine sales and also for Italian wine sales um, we will again see something that's not good for us, but traveler import, uh, it's like the same as in, in Denmark and Sweden. We Finns go over to Estonia to buy cheaper alcohol. And also during COVID, I mean, this is a worldwide trend. Uh, E-commerce is, is growing. Uh, people don't want to spend time in shops anymore. We also need to remember one thing is that, that wine is not a commodity in our country. Um, the average Finn goes to an alcohol shop less than once a month. And when they go, they spend three minutes on average. That includes the time that they're at the cashier. So they go in, grab what's on display or what they usually buy and go out. So our challenge is to get those people to know what they're going to buy beforehand, which means, you know, click to the web shop, go and pick up the wines that we suggest. Uh, from the shop or, you know, to have that in mind when they go. But they need to secure because not every wine is in or, or in every shop shelf. So how so, do you work with that communication? Because yeah. there's it's also a lot of regulation when it comes to alcohol, uh, alcoholic beverages in the Scandinavian countries. So mm -hmm. how do you work with that communication? Uh, we use a lot. I mean, why will Finland, we first of all... Uh, a little bit like, like Margareta here is that we don't wait for tenders if there's something we, that we believe in. We put it into the sell-to-order assortment. Okay, that's not automatic. Uh, that's where we have to work it out, uh, how to get people to get it. So we use a lot. Uh, we've done quite a good uh, successful campaigns on social media and other platforms also. Always tactical, call to action, click, click, where to go, where to get the information. Um, and that's that's uh, been quite successful. We went from two listings when we started in 2016. Today we have 148, which many of them are uh, sale-to-order items and most of the wines that are in the regular assortment has gone through that. So we are not good at winning tenders, but we're good at finding something that people would love and uh, to buy it again. So um, that's maybe one of our strong parts. Yeah. And about Italy, yeah, what is going well and what could do better in Finland? Do you want to look at the slide? Yes. <laughs> okay, so there's a little bit of what's going on. Um, white wine is increasing, and there's a riesling boom in Finland. I'll come. I'll come back to that if we have uh, time for it. Prosecco. Okay. Um, the prosecco boom started a couple of years back, before COVID, um, and uh, part of the reason of prosecco boom is that, in my view, and the analysis we've done is the prosecco is not just wine. 
um, is a beverage that also competes with other beverages. It competes with cider, ready-to-drinks, maybe beer, especially in the younger um, audience. And Prosecco started to gain, and uh, the social media and that skin had a lot to do with that internationally. At the same time, because the younger generation, they look at maybe uh, influencers from outside the Finnish border. Uh, the wine influencers in Finland are quite boring, so they don't look at the younger audience. Uh, but, you know, Prosecco, it's easier. It's easier than Cava. It's, of course, cheaper and easier than, than Champagne. And, you know, everybody doesn't want to drink difficult things, uh, especially, you know, if you go to a wedding uh, and you have a beautiful champagne and then your grandma goes, it's too sour, <laughs> it's too dry. So, you know, why, you know, drink Prosecco, it's much easier. And then, of course, uh, small, small boom in champagne, and especially at the Rosé, and that is a part of the Rosé trend, where Italy is not doing very well. But where are we doing well in the Finnish market? Let's go to the next one. Well, let's do this one first. So, the, I mean, bibs are big. It's very convenient. You know, we hunt, we, we go to our summer places, we go boating, etc. So, baggy box is easy to carry with. We're very practical people. Uh, and that's a part also why Tetra and, uh, and PET is growing in Finland. Uh, and one of the reasons is, it's quite funny, and this is directly from, uh, from a consumer. When I buy a PET bottle or a Tetra, my neighbors don't hear how much wine I buy because it doesn't say, it says boom, 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 instead of clear, 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 like the bottle does. So that's, you know, one of the, it's very practical. Um, so, uh, I mean, Tetra is growing uh, and a uh, couple of pretty big bulk uh, wine produced also in there. PET is, uh, Finland has been a foregoing in that in, in the monopoly markets. The most sold Italian white wine is packed in a bib. The most and sold, from which region is that? Um, I don't remember. I think it's Sicilian. It's the one with the with the um, okay with the black with the octopus on it. Yeah, ah. it's a caparato from. Oh, it's Sicilia, a caparato. Okay, yeah. so we still have it's two minutes. Two minutes? No. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we have two minutes Let's left, and then. then we're gonna have some okay. questions. Yeah. Italian wines uh, has pretty good market shares in different price points. I mean, we the biggest growing price category in Finland in wine is 12 to 15 euros. Still, there are big liters in under 10 euro. But the problem is that nowadays we, we're soon not able to sell wines under 10 euro because nobody's making money. You're not making money. We're not making money. The only one making money is the tax authorities and the monopoly because their uh, margin is the highest in uh, Scandinavia. Oh, sorry if there's some alcohol people here. Uh, all wines, I mean, uh, if we talk about Italy, uh, the market share is 59% in 20 to 50 euros, and that explains the Venet wines, the Ripasto and Amarone. It's very strong. There's big growth also in Piemonte, but it's in the higher price ranges. And the Apocimento is also popular, but not as strong as in Sweden, which has been a really crazy market for Apocimento-style wines. So if you would give a suggestion to, uh, to an Italian producer uh, to enter the Finnish market, Market, one minute uh, okay. Okay. only, and then we're going to have time for, for questions, but just um, 
uh, some advice what to think about it could be certifications it could yeah, be yeah that's very point. important uh, i mean the the sustainability in the certifications always have to be on the label then you get the green dot uh alco works a little differently they have a goal in 2030 to have uh, their own uh, ways the working will be uh, co2 neutral but also that at that time that we have i think i have a small picture here of the green dots of the green symbols uh, that most of the wines sold will be have will be with the green symbol and the green symbol is what you get if you have an organic certification uh, if you have a sustainable certification if you're natural um, if you have a lightweight bottle vegan uh, biodynamic or the newest one which is co2 neutral perfect yes Um, yes, very good, Nina. Um, so we have a few minutes for, for questions. We have one from Diletta. Uh, I can give you my microphone. Wait. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just have a question about these sparkling wines. We just talked about Prosecco for the Finnish market, but I really want to know a little bit about something not only Prosecco, sparkling wines from Italy, um, sparkling from other regions or uh, other different varieties, probably from uh, local Italian varieties. What about that? Is, is your market interested about something new or, you know, unknown denomination? That is my question. I can start. Uh, I can start from Sweden. So I think definitely there are interest for local varietals. I think it depends on the importer and the place you want to sell. And I think even a monopoly could be interested for a, uh, for a small listing in the uh, temporary uh, as a temporary listing. But definitely, I think uh, there are many wine bars. In, especially in the bigger cities, interested of local varietals and sparkling. I can, I can follow up about uh, Norway. Um, for the tenders uh, in Norway, I'm sure there will be tenders for uh, other uh, appellations than Prosecco uh, and Francia Cotta and, you know, more like Durello or uh, other less known <laughs> so, uh, I, because the, the monopoly, sorry about the lo loudness, the, the monopoly uh, are actually uh, launching tenders in all categories. It's not on, only about big volumes, it's small volumes, big volumes, uh, low prices, high prices. So, everything can happen. And Denmark? I can add a little bit on, especially for the wine festivals and the music festivals, we have seen an increased, quite a huge increase uh, on the the party bottles or the colored, uh, like, I think it's called Bottega Gold or something, you know, we've seen that a lot uh, as well, Lambrusco and so on, uh, in the marketplace when we have the big music festivals, so that's increasing a lot, and that's not ecological, unfortunately. Yeah. And Finland? Uh, yes, especially the on-trade, uh, there is more demand for higher quality sparkling wines from Italy. Uh, we see, uh, I mean, the Trento names, uh, not to mention any, 
uh, also Alta Langa, very interesting, Franciacorta. And also we see a small up boom. Uh, three years ago, impossible to sell magnums outside with champagne, but nowadays many of the restaurants pour from uh, top quality Italian sparkling wines from magnums also, which we're very happy about. So it's not just Prosecco. Now we have a problem with the price of yeah. the glass of Magnum and Jeroboam. That is that really, increasing crazy. It, yeah, and, and, uh, and that, that, that is really, and it's so sad because now that we are finally getting there, you know, and, and also the price increases and, and, you know, but this is something that we have to all live with. The problem is now, you know, going a little back to that with the energy prices and especially, I mean, Italy is especially hit with that. Uh, is that, you know, we've had to increase prices on our bigger sellers uh, in alcohol. And, you know, it's really, you know, how much can the consumer really take? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's yeah. interesting. Yes. We have uh, another question. Katarina, you want to ask a question? Okay, so I'm Katarina Anderson. Uh, I think it was a bit uh, in connection to the Diletta question. So, I mean... Uh, so I've heard that there's for the future a lot of uh, Piemont, uh, Burgundy style wines, fresh wines, uh, Tuscany. So basically the future is a bit like the past, but I think a lot of people here, if there were a lot of smaller producers, would probably want to learn more about how a small producer in Italy could actually uh, navigate if he would like to arrive to it to Sweden or to Norway or to Finland or well Denmark is easier I mean and then they have all oods and so it's <laughs> but uh, I mean I think I mean you talked a bit about it but I think there could perhaps be a bit more explained if you would find them or if they could have a way to uh, arrive to Scandinavia on their own and the second part of the question is like with the post-pandemic world and the costs are increasing uh, like for the US for import it's, it's becoming more and more of a problem with costs also for the importers so do you see a change in that in Scandinavia with higher costs for you which also would uh, influence how you choose the producers and, and the price points and so forth let me just start on Denmark then. Uh, we see we see all the small uh, suppliers being a lot interested, at least to our company and to several other companies in the medium range. We see Valade Osta being a future. We see uh, Etna, uh, like we talked about, all the volcanic areas, and we talk about only small family producers. Um, Valtellina up in Lombardy is, is as well upcoming area for us. It has never been interested in the past, but now young players are coming on and that's what the especially all the sommeliers are asking about and that's what we focus on with uh, some of the best restaurants in the world in Copenhagen so. but there's no obvious what i think what katarina was asking is that uh, there's no obvious way to arrive to you as an importer um it is but oh. it, it depends uh, what product you have uh, but if it's um um, if, it, if you have some something special, it's always uh, a possibility to enter the Norwegian market, not with tenders, but with another strategy. And uh, we have that strategy, uh, not only my company, but also other importers, of course, um, that we can uh, help you 
uh, to enter the Norwegian market, but it needs to be a long-term strategy. Uh, you cannot rush it, and we need to choose the right time and place, and uh, we need to uh, you, you need to understand the Norwegian market. We need to understand you as a producer and your product. Uh, so definitely always interesting if the products are interesting. To totally agree to that one. It is always uh, interesting, I think, with a new uh, producer and new different varietals. And uh, so I never say no before I have checked the mail, checked the website and have had a di dialogue about it. So, yeah, I, uh, I agree with everybody else here and, and Wine World Finland. We work with many smaller producers who we know very well also personally. Uh, we import, we might buy a mixed pallet from somebody small or then a, a truckload of uh, bigger wineries if we have that listing in a monopoly. Um, so it's, uh, but of course, I mean, honestly, we get a lot of contacts. Uh, I, I mean, 25 emails per day from producers who wants to introduce themselves and it, it's quite hard work and uh, you know if we don't answer the email it's not because we're rude it's just that you know you don't have enough time right no. to answer no uh, but so, we'd love to. The so send it again yeah the 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 second question uh, was about um, the higher prices. This will be the then we have to finish. Um, so do you see a change in what your choices? Uh, you heard uh, Katarina's question. Um, when it comes to the future after the pandemic, inflation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, will it change the way you work, Pat? Uh, yes, indeed. Already now we see, you know, just from United States, uh, the rate of exchange uh, increased by 25%. So we increased the prices by 30 to 40%. Uh, even from Europe, uh, like you talked about the glasses, uh, it's difficult to get glass and cardboard and so on. So we have increased all our prices by between 8 and 10%. And people just continue purchasing you know people love wine and especially from Italy so uh, but of course we need to then find some other suppliers with cheaper wines like two euros that's important as well it's not it's easy to sell wine at 10 20 euros but it's all the the smaller ones uh, for our market at least really, really short now because yeah. then we have to finish uh, we uh, we always we also suffer in Norway with higher transportation costs. Uh, warehouse is going up, handling is going up, and distribution is going up. So, so uh, I think uh, we are uh, on on both sides. We are seeing uh, expenses uh, rising. Do you agree, the two of you? Perfect. So we say thank you. We close here if there are no other questions. Otherwise, you can come up and talk personally or outside. So thank you for coming and listening. Thank you. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.